Welcome to Burning Metal, Black Metal. We are here. We are excited. This is your host and Forge Master, G Metal, aka Glenn. And we are here with Mark Ryle, a novelist, a sci fi novelist, and he can introduce the rest of them. Yeah. Hi, everyone. And I'm so pleased to be on the show, uh, Burning Metal. And um, uh, yeah, I'm a novelist, a first time novelist. And my. Uh, book that i just published as glenn mentioned is uh is a sci-fi i like to call it a speculative fiction which is sort of a brand of sci-fi that um looks into the future but tries to do it almost in in a way that tries to say what will happen what's going to happen so it's not i'm not out on some other weird planet somewhere uh it's not really uh, crazy stuff it's more like what i think is actually going to happen in the next um hundred years or so. So thanks for having me on the show, Glenn. No, no problem. Uh I've read I've read a good amount of your book up to now. I'm a slow reader, so uh I'm definitely gonna finish it within the within two weeks. But uh one I have a question. What got you into writing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um and my background actually is mathematics economics and uh so a lot of people have asked me, Mark, why do, why would you even write a book? How can you be an author? Uh, and um, uh, I guess I would just say to anybody out there, if you have something on your mind and you think uh, it's important that you want to express it, um, you too can can be a writer and um, don't be afraid to step into that other area. So, yeah, I, a lot of people didn't see me as an artist, um, although I have been in my last 10 or 20 years, I've sort of branched out into doing some uh, painting. And now doing this book, so I guess I have an artistic uh, side of me that's uh, coming out. Um, so that's how I got into it, and I started writing the book about ten years ago. So um, it's been quite a project. Would you would would you say any of your past experiences with mathematics or economics helped you write this book? Yeah, um, there is some some math in in there. Um, like for example, I I don't know if. If Glenn, if you read the section where the number of possible combinations of the nucleotides on chromosome 13, um, it's sort of a bit of a funny thing, but just shows you how unique people are. Because if you figure out the number of combinations just on one of our 23 chromosomes, there's uh, 113 million possible base pairs just for that one um, chromosome. And each of those base pairs can have four um nucleotides so if you do the math it's four people remember their high school math even it's four to the exponent 113 million which is a pretty big number i'd ask my daughter daughter to look that up because my calculator can't find that number can't do that and she looked it up on a website and she said dad that's a number with 76 digits long (laughs) okay and that's just why we're all unique as humans so yeah um to answer your question math has helped there is some economics in the book, actually a fair amount, um, but uh, the book is more, I would say, science and technology than than it is economics or math. So you're just a renaissance man, aren't you? Uh, yeah, well, thanks for the compliment, yeah. Or a very confused guy who doesn't know which what his interests are. But yeah, I do have a lot of <laughs> different perspectives in the book. That's what made it fun to do, you know? Um, I mean, totally. You just sound like you know a lot, a lot more. You 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 just sound like a talented guy in general. If you can write a book, you know your you know your science, your math. You you are into mathematics and economics. That's those are all different fields entirely. Almost. Yeah, they are. And um, 
I think in writing the book, uh, I took on that science challenge. I do have a science degree. That was my first degree, but it was a long time ago. I'm, I'm 60 years old now. So I did my science degree in the 1980s. Yeah. You probably weren't even born then. No, and, <laughs> and, uh, so I had to relearn all the stuff. Uh, anything I, in the book about genetic engineering, I just found the topic fascinating and I wanted to spread the word, uh, to the world about it. Um, and so I, I thought doing a fiction book would be a good way of doing it because in fiction, people can really, uh, feel the characters and what they're going through and their struggles and they can imagine things a lot more. There's a lot of nonfiction books on this out right now, and some of them are bestsellers. But, um, my, I thought my role is to educate people through fiction, uh, really make them feel what's, what might happen in the next 50 to 100 years. No, I totally agree. I'm someone who says fiction is, um, I mean, I don't even, like, I don't even mean this so literally, but fiction is almost more true than nonfiction because it allows the, the reader or the person receiving it to be able to think upon it more than if someone was just trying to state a fact. So I totally, exactly. I totally agree with you on the fiction part. And, uh, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis said, um, he wrote fiction to get past the dragons of religion, to get past yeah, the gates of all that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis is, is mentioned a couple of times in my book. If, uh, if you don't mind, can I quote a section that yeah, where he's for sure. in my book? Um, because as you know, C.S. Lewis wrote a while ago. Uh, he, um, he wrote a book in 1943. I think it was. It's called The Abolition of Man. And he foresaw exactly what, um, these things will be about. So, uh, I'm going to quote. So I'm going to actually read this. C.S. Lewis, um, he said, quote, if any one age really attains by eugenics and scientific education, the power to make its descendants what it pleases, all men who live after it are patients of that power. And just a little uh, later, he also wrote man's power over nature and therefore over other men. So he's really, I find those profound. I just can't believe he wrote that 80 years ago. Uh, he's really predicting um, that um, these scientific breakthroughs, we must treat them very, very carefully because of the potential for men, let's say humans, to uh, use them over other humans. No, that definitely, no, that that's definitely something I've cut. Like reading the book, it's, it's definitely not opened my eyes, but like widened my perspective because I've heard of other, uh, other type of genetics we've done with uh, other experiments one of them being a uh where if your first child isn't um isn't 100 percent healthy or they have some kind of low count of blood cells they'll have a second child who's almost yes. genetically perfect just so yeah. the first child can replenish yeah yeah and you know i don't want to plan uh, i don't want to be a total uh negative on this i think uh genetic engineering has huge potential and uh and we can talk about some of those fantastic things that are going to happen, but I'm just in writing the book. I want people to be aware of what genetic engineering is and to picture some of the positives and the negatives. I can give you one positive one right now. If, 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 yeah. if you don't mind one that, uh, uh, Jennifer Dudna, who won the Nobel prize a couple of years ago in chemistry for inventing CRISPR. Um, she actually said sickle cell anemia, which affects 
um, actually the black population more than, than the, the non-black population. Sickle cell anemia is a terrible disease in the blood. And, um, she, uh, pointed out that that's one area where I think we would all agree if we could use genetic engineering to, um, treat the blood of people, even, could even be adults, um, not embryos, but adults who have sickle cell anemia. They could use her CRISPR method to uh, pull the blood out, treat it, and then reinsert it and uh, with the proper genetic uh, corrections. And then uh, it's possible they think that maybe adults, they can cure this using genetic engineering. So very yes i think i mean i'm not i'm not one to say that science is all negative all positive i think science is a tool that we discover through it and which allows us to make choices upon other people positive or negative right and i would say that your book and your book does show that it's really a choice of man more than it is the science that is wrong yes yep a lot of choices. We're going to have to make a lot of decisions. Uh, and again, with, with writing, uh, age decoded my book, um, I'm trying to get people, just average people out there, um, who, uh, maybe just heard of this, but don't know much about it, a little more interested in it because it's going to be a tsunami. It's going to be a huge wave of, uh, genetic engineering implications coming up. Um, like I say, some of the stuff's going to be clearly positive that we won't most people would would not disagree on but some of the other things um and we can get into that are going to be quite debatable and maybe have moral and ethical uh issues associated with them of course now um in your book what themes do you primarily tackle okay um I actually started the book because I'm interested in aging. Uh, I'm a, I, I do triathlons. I'm a very serious, uh, um, Canadian. I'm on the Canadian. I actually have my jersey on here. Canadian triathlon team. Be my, nice. So now in, in triathlon, I, I don't compete with the professionals because I'm older, but I, I'm competing what's called the age group, uh, um, triathloners. So I'm now in the 60 to 65 year old age group. Those are the guys I compete against and, uh, they're maniacs and we all are concerned about age and trying to perform at the very best we can as we get older. Right. So, um, it's funny. And in that group, you'll have a guy who's 64 saying to the guy who's 61, uh, you know, you got a big advantage over it. You're three years younger and they can actually feel that three years. They actually know there is an advantage in three years, even though we're both in the sixties, it's crazy. So anyway, I got interested in aging and that's how I started writing the book. And then I discovered that there's a lot of research going on in aging and it's connected to genetic engineering. In the United States, Japan, and um, Europe, there are some very, very good researchers who are looking to, and I know this is going to surprise a lot of your listeners, stop and even reverse aging using uh, genetic engineering. I mean, can, can we actually stop? Can we actually stop aging? They think they can stop it and reverse it. Oh, uh, now this is probably if it does happen, I would predict it would won't happen for 50 to 100 years. I'll be dead and six feet under with dandelions growing over top of me when this happens. But some of your younger listeners, this could actually impact their lives. 
I mean, what would be the, I mean, the, the better question is what would be the ramifications of such a process? Huge, right? So in my book, what I do is I try to take a very, what seems like a positive thing. A lot of people in my book go for this. They're offered it for free service by the government. You come in, it takes about half an hour. They tinker with some of your genes and they it stops you from aging. And then later in the book, they reverse it. Um, so pretty well, everybody goes for it. It's just so uh, alluring. It sounds so nice. So like, I don't have to get any older, right? So um, it's voluntary, but almost everybody uh, signs up for it. So in my book, I, I portray that as one sort of alluring positive thing. Although, like I can hear that you're saying, it's not so positive being immortal. Uh, the idea is changes everything about being a human. Uh, and then in my book, I put in a... Um, I put in a, a clear negative too. And I tried to think of something. What could I put in that really creates a scandal and gets people interested as they're reading? And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, let, why don't we have it when they go in to get their immortality gene uh, fixed? When they go in, the government secretly tinkers with one other gene set uh, while they're in there. Now, this is secretly. And they, sec- they secretly tinker with people's. Um, ability to criticize the government okay that's definitely that's definitely one possibility (laughs) that's definitely one possibility of it because it's pretty outlandish right (laughs) oh i mean it's outlandish as if i mean i look at it as right now we understand human interaction with a certain level of power between each other yeah and if we gain more power that dynamic changes well, there is a power. That's a power move. Tinkering with people. I call it the propensity to dissent. They literally clip it in anybody who goes in. They don't know what's happened to them. So that's power. That's power. They're basically entrenching their power. Uh, I mean, there's so many potential ramifications from an immortal gene that you could even if you if one can decide immortality one can potentially solve or cause more problems such as an expiration date set and such as yeah. taking away someone's free will to resist a government that's also just as dangerous so, i mean it's it's just one of those things where positive and negative stuff comes about, about it you just have to stay informed and make sure you know what you're doing yeah and in writing the book it was so much fun because i tried to think well what are the good things about living forever <laughs> And there were some good things, like one guy's got 19 PhDs because he's interested in learning, so he does a doctorate, and then he works for a while, and then 20 years later, he does another thesis, and so he's, you know, he's, he's, he loves it. You can do all these PhDs, but there's another character I have who's an older fella. Um, I don't know. I don't Have you gotten to the point where you read about the guy named Jesus, uh, Kabila, Jesus mm, Sigmund? Not yet. So Jesus is, uh, is an older, very thoughtful guy. He's almost 80 years old. So when he goes in and gets this done, he's now, he's almost dead. Like he's in bad health and he gets stuck at that stage. And he's, he's, he sort of says to himself, I'm, I'm like at the precipice of death and I'm in this very uncomfortable state and I shouldn't have done this. I should have just let myself die. But he, he went for it too. And he's, he doesn't get a day older, but he's very, very frail. Um, so, um, he, um, he started, he's very Buddhist in his thinking, even though his name is Jesus. He was, he was also Christian, but he sort of turned into a Buddhist when they tinkered with his, uh, propensity to dissent. And, um, he wasn't sure what's going on in his mind, but he knows something weird happened. And anyway, he, um, he talks about 
what you just mentioned, Glenn, with and he says, um, if I could quote Jesus, uh, I, I, he can probably, my character can say it better than I can. Yeah. He said, uh, quote, humans with so much time naturally avail themselves of it inefficiently. Anonymous once said, and so he's now quoting Anonymous, the thief to be most wary of is the one who steals your time. But I believe that with age decoding, I believe it's the opposite. I think the thief that we must be wary of is the one who lends you too much time because they steal your humanity. That is very deep right there. Thank you. That's very deep. And I mean, for one, I can just tell you that um, there is, I mean, you, you probably lived it at some point that you thought you lived forever. And you didn't need everyone to tell you that you're going to live forever. And in your book, you're literally being told you'll live forever if you take this yeah. gene. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a fascinating topic just for that. Because there's so much behind it that I would have to say that if you're consistently reinforced that you'll live forever if you take this gene, then you do have too much time on your hands. And you're not pressured to move forward and i think that that quote from jesus in in the book was very very well uh written for the time that you you wrote about yeah thanks yeah i I love that character he (laughs) he's just so thoughtful and mindful and um so of what were some of the inspirations you you drew on to write this book well, some of the some of my favorite authors go way back also. So I, I am inspired by some science fiction authors um, uh, and, and also philosophers. Like C.S. Lewis is, is one philosopher. Um, but uh, if I could go back to science fiction, um, I, I love Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Um, he he's just such a clever writer, and uh, I also. Uh, really liked uh, Franz Kafka, who was um, uh, uh, just just an amazing, somewhat paranoid, but also just so f- um, deep in his thinking about his world that he lived in. Um, uh, so, you know, there are a lot of authors in the in the in my past that have been an inspiration. Um, uh, yeah. So, cause I mean, you, you, like, I, like I said in the beginning, you're a Renaissance man, you come from all these things and you, you just seem to be drawing on like, not just like some, not, not just past authors, but your entire life experience. And I, I find that fascinating already just for the fact that it's like, you're, you're, you are a, tri- a triathlon. Am I saying that right? Yes. A yeah. triathlon runner. And I can just like the benefits of just the idea of being, living immortal already sound great if you're if you're a triathlon runner and <laughs> I can just imagine just the like being told like you know real life wise yeah you know you're doing this that and the third and another thing I do find very fascinating is when an author like you takes a hypothetical that no one believes is real but. <laughs> puts it into a human perspective is super important because you can go back to the star tracks to the star wars and pretty much any sci-fi from like the late 60s and early 80s and we have technology from those movies shows and whatnot sure we we, we definitely do we should, yeah absolutely science fiction is great because um my, again i call it speculative fiction engineering there's so many uncertainties here that if you were to try to, if even if we had a hardcore scientist right now try to write a uh, like let's say um, a paper trying to predict the future, 
his or her uh, um, work that whatever they wrote would read exactly like my science fiction novel. It's all speculative fiction. Looking into the future is speculative, whether you're a scientist or not, whether you're a writer or a scientist. It's 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 speculative and it is fiction because we don't know if it's going to happen. So um, you have to be open minded and just go with the flow. Um, yeah. One of my favorite things about your book is that it's speculative, but it stays as grounded as possible so that everyone who does read it doesn't, is, is not a stalls. It's not necessarily Star Trek, but it stays as grounded as possible. Yeah. That, that's, I tried to do that. I don't know if you've hit that chapter where there's sort of like almost like an essay on the research on aging and genetics. It's yes. somewhere around yes. chapter 12. I was told not to put that chapter in there by an editor. And I thought, you know what? I, I do want to ground it uh, in reality. I don't want this just to be some pie in the sky. And I want the readers to know that. So in that, in that chapter, I talk about all the research that's happened in the last, not all the research, but the, some main research uh, incidents in the last, uh, let's say, 50 years. And then I even come forward to the current um, Nobel Prize winner, Jennifer Doudna. And actually, I had to go back and change that. Uh, I just changed it two weeks ago. The good thing about an ebook is you can add things after you've written it and correct. And I noticed that she won the prize with uh, Charpentier from uh, Europe. So I put in Charpentier's name there, uh, give her credit too. And I also added some some stuff I just read two weeks ago about um, a new CRISPR technique where they think they don't even have to go in and change the genes. They can just turn the genes on and off. It's called CRISPR on, CRISPR off. And that just blew my mind. Like that was two weeks ago. So I actually changed that and put that in that section. I do want um, my book to be grounded in some reality, what's going on right now. But then there's that transition into the future, 2030, 2040, 2050. That's where it, it does. Yeah, it becomes speculative. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, that fact alone is kind of cool that you just kind of change it up as with real life events to bring it up into your book. Um, like I said, like it's grounded in reality. It's something that it's people can grasp. That's the big thing. It's like the concepts and everything you're putting out there isn't just like a lightsaber that no one can really grasp to. It's just like a cool concept. You're putting out concepts that people understand and can really see it and and like think about it long term in comparison to like, oh, that was just a cool story. Yeah, exactly. Now, what what was your favorite part to write? Like, if you had like a favorite part of the book to write, what was like the thing you was most giddy, the most giddy about? Yeah, I well, okay, I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but at the end, there's a, a huge um, dream sequence that plays a, an important role. So, okay. the dream that is broadcast by the heroine who is Dr. Frida Sengmiller. She's the one who invented the anti aging uh, technique, and she. Uh, I, you may not be at the part yet where she's, um, uh, well, yeah, you probably right where they fake her suicide near the beginning and they take her underground because they still want to keep her mind and they want to keep her researching on reverse aging, but they don't want, uh, she's very nervous about all these applications. So they, they don't want her speaking out against them. So they take her underground, they trap her for 200 years. And anyway, she, uh, my favorite mar uh, part of the book is writing how she breaks out with a dream, uh, dreamlike message um, using technology. She has a way of doing it. I don't want to give away the, the, but the dream is just incredible. It's not really a dream. And my whole description of it is it, it feels like a dream. You know how when you do a dream, when you have a good dream, even a good dream, but whatever, it sort of fizzles out. Uh, and yeah. especially a good dream, you try to hang on to it, but it just dissolves, you know, and you can't hang on to it. No, this dream 
uh, is is permanent. It's so real, and it's her speaking to the people, and they can't erase it. And it's very positive, and and uh, just writing about the difference between her message, which seemed like a dream, and what normal dreams are. I, I had so much fun with that, and um, I uh, uh, yeah, that that's uh, the writing that was just so much fun, so deep. I mean, I can't wait to get that part done for sure because the parts I've I've went up to is great. And again, no one's talking about spoilers here, but I mean, overall, I'd say the the book is a fascinating read to where I'm at, and you just made it way more enticing for me to finish this book. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> And, um, no, but I mean, I love the concept of the book because aging is something we all go through and all of us have a different relationship of aging. Uh, people in America don't like to age at all. <laughs> Every year we grow up and yeah. like, no, no more. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, a lot of people think of aging as a disease. I don't necessarily see it that way, but it, they see it as a disorder, a disease that we must eradicate, just like sickle cell anemia. So I do think the genetic science will take a will will target human aging. It is already, and I think it's gonna it's inevitable. No, I totally agree with you because aging is the one thing is uh is the aging is the one thing that we can never truly beat as of right now. It's the it's the devil that's on our shoulder, and we have to live with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, like, in history and evolution and everything, we have conquered or attempted to conquer everything that's on our back that we can't take off. So, I mean, this, like, I'm a big sci-fi dude. Like, Minority Report is a great film for that reason. Uh, uh, 1984 is a good book. Yes. I haven't, uh, Minority Report, I should visit one. 84, I've read that more than once. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, I mean, this... I, I mean, I personally, up to what I've read, is, is just as interesting as 80, 1984. Yeah, 84, that was so profound. Now, when did he write that? Was it in the 50s, George yeah. Orwell? Uh, anyway, he wrote it, yeah, I guess 30, 40 years before 1984. And now, even re reading it 40 years after 1984, it's, uh, it's, it's still profound, and it still strikes a chord with so many people. In fact, I was just checking the political fiction um ratings on amazon and his book 1984 is um is still up there mine snuck up there i was surprised this morning i noticed it on there which is whoa that's that's good uh but it it's that's the best seller list for political fiction i i thought my book was a science fiction and it is um i'm gonna have to check the science fiction ratings but his book 1984 and my book <laughs> were right side by side on the political fiction um bestseller list on amazon canada not amazon usa um i'm in canada so probably a lot of my friends and uh, former students have bought the book and that helped you know hey, i mean anything you write about the future really is going to be politicized no matter how no matter how far-fetched you write in it now yeah and and there is a fair amount of politics involved in my book I and mean, there's no doubt about it because they have to set up a sort of a, almost not like a world of world government but they do have to set up what i call a world authority to oversee this um immortality gene 
gene tampering. And uh, so there was some give and take on the political front. And the uh, yeah, I do have a fair amount of discussion about how that authority works itself from the president to their core six people, the core, the, the six uh, people on the central cabinet. And then there's another level of the SI 50. And then there's, the, there's a group uh, below that, the Apex 200. And they're all sort of trying to um, uh, uh, implement this this new technology. But then again, you know, as you know, there's some corruption involved. So they're trying to cover that up at the same time. And uh, I, I should mention that one of my heroes is someone in that authority. He's African-American. His name is Tavon Brooks. I, I took... Um, I wanted to have some uh, inclusivity in my in my character, so I actually have one Middle East um, immigrant uh, who plays a part. But I'm now speaking of another character who's African American, born in Detroit, Tavon Brooks, and he is in the Authority. He's brilliant. He is absolutely brilliant mathematician. He worked his way up, um, uh, born in Detroit. Worked his way up, ended up going to MIT on a scholarship, and he I was being brought into the authority as their chief statistical person. And um, he is he has a very important role because he's sort of going to become, you know, the he doesn't want to be the whistleblower because if he blows the whistle, he ex, he he exposes everything, including himself. So he has to sort of work against the authority while he's in the authority, and. Uh, I'm really glad that um, he, uh, he, this character is, he's just as prominent really as the uh, lead researcher I mentioned, Dr. Frida Sengler. Uh, his name's Tavon Brooks. No, I mean, that's, I mean, that sounds pretty cool because you give it multiple narratives. Uh, do you have, no, but is there multiple viewpoints in the story? So, yes. Can... Okay, awesome. Now, his viewpoint is he has a, in his veins, he understands obviously the, um, the history of the United States and slavery and whatnot, and he understands it fully. And, um, and he, um, like he says, it's in my veins. And, uh, I could quote him if I could find the quote. Um, at some point he says, um, yeah. He's speaking to the actually the Middle Eastern fellow too, and he's the Middle Eastern fellow's name Ahmed. And, and now this is Tavon speaking. He says to Ahmed, "You can probably figure, Ahmed, that as an African American, I'm very aware of my ancestral past and the history of black slavery in the United States, the horrors of humans subjugating other humans. This stuff is in my veins. After what I've learned today." I feel that the actions of this government are just another form of slavery. And in this case, it's the slavery of all people, regardless of skin color. Um, that 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 is a takeaway from this uh, from that passage, but definitely from this entire book. It's the rich versus the poor. It's the powerful versus the weak. It's it's the uh, like I like that you said it earlier, taking away the humanity from humans. Yes. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I've tried to include some different perspectives, but I actually I think it's really important that. He, someone like him is in that position and is uh expresses himself and then also becomes uh, uh a, a hero and you know again i don't want to give away too much but uh, working for the right side yeah and also the human conditions are complicated because it's one of six you want to succeed you want to be a good person and you want to be able to live a happy life but then you also see in this scenario it's 
uh, an injustice that, if left untreated, could affect a grand majority of everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love those kind of characters because it's, is it is it I versus them, or is it them versus them or I? <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a scene later where he's trying, he's grappling because he knows he has to provide some leadership role and he's more of a he's more of a math guy he's not a politician so he struggles with um going in the limelight or getting involved with anybody political um he loves math and he's very good at his job but he he does cross over and he uh, he plays an important role he, he, it's a challenge for him it's he has to even himself he has to act outside of his normal comfort zone uh, doing all this. I mean, Mark, this is a great book. Uh, most definitely, when, whenever I'm done with reading it, I'm going uh, to review it on my channel. So, I mean, I'm going to do a review that without spoilers, definitely. So Thank more you. Can, more people can read it. Because I didn't want you to think I was going to spoil the whole book over over <laughs> you. I probably yeah, thank will, you. I probably will after the fact, just so people can enjoy the book themselves. But, I mean, I lo I'm loving it now. It's a great read. I'm getting back into the flow of reading again because uh, it's it's a part of my new uh, new 2021 uh, resolutions. Great. And great. I mean, it's great to have you on. Would you like to say anything else or your final thoughts? No, I, I would just say it's such a, a pleasure being on your show, Burning Metal. And um, uh, I've done a few podcasts and they've all been very enjoyable. Uh, and and uh, yeah, I've listened to a few of yours too. I listened to one on the culture wars. That was excellent. And, uh, and okay. I, I'm going to I'm going to go back and listen to a few more. Fantastic! It's great that people, uh, younger people like you, uh, and people from all the different areas are 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 doing their podcasts and whatnot. It's very democratic and it's it's very grassrootsy. And um, it's been a great experience for me because I, I I don't don't normally I've never done a podcast till two weeks ago and uh so uh obviously a uh, awesome vehicle for me to uh, promote my work but i do think the work is important and i do think it's um the more especially middle-aged younger people we can get learning about this um the better for society and better for humanity i mean genetic engineering is going to change humanity it's you know it's not about nurturing better medicine better diet or better education system this is literally changing human nature changing your nature not your nurture and that's a step that humans have not really taken in any major way so this is uh this is a threshold we're crossing over and uh, I, all i can say glenn is uh thanks for the wonderful opportunity today to uh, talk about this no, I mean, thank you for giving me your time. Like, you seem like a busy guy, and I definitely appreciate when anyone comes on my show, and it's great. Uh, we're definitely going to have your book link in the description. And would you like, do you have any other links you want to input? Uh, well, we'll send that book link. Um, if, if people just type in the, the title Age Decoded, so A-G-E hyphen decoded, and then maybe the word Amazon or whatever retailer, if they use Kobo or... Um, apple books or any it'll probably be on that retailer so just age decoded and then the name of the retailer like amazon you'll see my book there if you are interested it should be pretty easy to um, download it's only an ebook because i'm self-published so you have to read it on your computer or your smartphone it's not in print form 
yet. So it's an ebook, and I think the cost is about ten dollars. So, um, I mean, thanks for the opportunity. It's definitely a good ten dollars well spent, I will say. And thank you again, Mark. It was great having you on. And that, my friends, is the show.